0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittum, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show was presented by Asics. They got a couple new shoes out. So they got the Nimbus 26 and the the new Cumulus as well. Uh, I think it's the Cumulus 26 as well. Great shoes. I was a big fan of the Cumulus a couple iterations ago. I haven't had the last two, but... I had the, I think it was a Cumulus 21. I loved that shoe. I absolutely loved it. It was one of my go-to daily trainers. And the Cumulus 26 is very similar to the 25. I'm sorry, the Nimbus 26 is very similar to the Nimbus 25. I'm a huge fan of the Nimbus 25. Actually, I wore it this afternoon on my easy run today. It's one of the most comfortable shoes out there for sure. The 26 has a little bit more streamlined of an upper, better grip on the outsole in that FF. Blast Eco Midsole, which is also so soft, so comfortable. It's definitely one of the most comfortable shoes that I've ever worn, just for walking around or running, frankly. So, before we get into today's episode with Darrell Hardy, I do want to say quickly um, that the running community is in mourning today. Uh, Kelvin Kipton died yesterday, along with his coach, in a car crash in Kenya, and... We're going to be covering this over on Relay. Uh, I think we're going to do a an episode uh, celebrating Kelvin's life and, and talking about his impact on running and how the various ways he'll be remembered uh, for generations to come. And as a running fan, it's, um, I guess, the, the initial reaction, besides just the shock of it all, was just thinking that this feels like, like losing, what, what losing pre must have felt like, you know, decades ago. Right. This person who is the light of the running world, who has an astonishing future ahead, but even beyond that, like is already at the top of their game at such a young age. And, um, you know, I feel so bad for obviously everyone close to him. Um, That goes without saying, but at the same time. Just from a running perspective, um, this person was the future of the sport from a men's marathoning perspective. Not only that, he was the present of the sport. He was, um, he was the present time and he was the present in terms of he was simply a gift to all of us. And um, we are all in mourning today uh, with his loss. With that said, I do want to get into today's episode with Darrell Hardy. Darrell Hardy is a fantastic person. I had a chance to meet him uh, prior to the California International Marathon just a couple months ago. Someone who's qualified for the last two trials, and you could make a very strong case that he may have been the smartest man in the trials this past year. Is a Brown University graduate with a, um, a bachelor's in neurology. He then went to Duke Medical School. He is now a pediatric neurologist based out of the Dell uh, Children's Hospital down in Austin, an absolutely astonishingly bright, fun, energetic, and great person. I couldn't wait to talk to him about his training, how he balances it, how he does just all the things that he does. From a um a running perspective, we didn't talk too much about like how he raced the trials this year. He ran well, but it was more just like a feature story on Darrell and also his wife, Christine Ramsey Hardy. Uh, she doesn't appear in the episode, but we talk a lot about her. She has qualified for three marathon trials on her own, so quite the power couple when it comes to running. So let's get into my podcast with Darrell Hardy. All right, Darrell Hardy is here, or I should say, Doctor. <laughs> Darrell Hardy calling in from where, Darrell?
1: From Dell Children's Hospital. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's right. Down in Austin?
1: Yep, in Austin, Texas.
0: Oh my god, Dr. Darrell Hardy. So this-so here's the thing. I was talking to a bunch of people down in Orlando, watching you running the Olympic trials, and you came by on your first lap. So we were kind of we were where we were. And if you've listened to this show now have heard me say this a bunch of times every single person who's been on the show post-trials, we were right around Like, um, so you when you go south of downtown, you do the U-turn and you come back up and you go under the overpass and you take a right. We were under the overpass. okay. so we were right there. You're coming through. I'm like, see that guy right there. That's the smartest man in the race. (laughs) (laughs) So give people what you do for a living, where you work and where you went to college, um, because you may be the smartest man in the race. I'm I'm still not sure if you're the smartest person in your marriage, but that's a completely (laughs) different question. We'll get into that partnership in a second.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, So yeah, I went to Brown University for undergrad. Um, Then I went to Duke University for medical school, did my residency training at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and the University of Pennsylvania, um, where I did my residency in child neurology. Um, After that, I moved down to Austin, Texas for my first job, Um, and I am a child neurologist and a neuroimmunologist so I take care of both kids and adults. Um, Primarily, I take care of kids with all sorts of neurologic conditions, but I have a subspecialty in neuroimmunology where I take care of both kids and adults that have um, neuroimmune disorders.
0: Wow. And yet, and yet, you spend an awful lot of time running. You're one of the best runners in Brown University history, both the 5K and the 10K, and you won the 5K at, um, you won the, the Ivy League Championship in the 5K,
1: I Correct. did, yeah, and indoors, yep. yes.
0: Yep, and then uh, we call it short track now, Darrell.
1: Yeah, oh, oh okay, short I don't track. Know if you, I don't know if you got the memo. <laughs> I didn't get the memo. Oh, no,
0: oh, yeah, so I think it was like on January 1st, World of Thugs was like, oh, no, oh, no, no, it's called short track now, ah, not indoors.
1: okay, all right, all right. I'm not sure,
0: I've, I've never seen one of those outdoors. I feel yeah. like it's, yeah. you know, it's, I've never seen a short track outdoors, so I think the indoor <laughs> yeah. track still pertains. <laughs> But um, I don't know. i obviously just 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 busting balls here. But, yeah, you know, so an, an incredible accomplishment. You were obviously an extremely driven student, you know, right from the jump. The fact that you got to Brown University in the first place and continued along this track, I guess, before we get into really serious conversations about your running career, especially in the marathon. What made you so driven to continue to pursue running at an extremely high level? while also, you know, going through medical training at an equally, if not even higher level?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think for me, it's just, I love it, you know. Um, running for me is, is just my outlet, um, you know. Um, it, it allows me to kind of decompress from either if I'm like studying as a student or now in my practice in medicine to kind of, you know, um, release some of the the you know things that I've seen or dealt with during the day at work, um, it's just something I love to do. I feel free. I feel um, energized when I run. Um, yeah, so it's just something that I just love to do, and it it makes me feel better mentally, physically. Uh, yeah, so I think that's that's really it. It's it's just that I love to do it.
0: We'll get back to that energized feeling in a second, considering that I know you do a lot of your runs at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um, but so. What about, you know, neurology in particular really intrigued you? This is something that you studied. You study neurology at Brown. So early on in the process, you obviously had identified this as something you want to get into. And the reason I bring it up is oftentimes when you see someone who's at a high level of sport like you are, who still wants to pursue sports after college, oftentimes their career choices, if it can, will often dovetail with that. Like, so you didn't get into sports medicine. You didn't get into other outlets within medicine that are, you know, either directly or, tangentially connected to sports. So what about neurology really drew you in?
1: Yeah, I think neurology, um, there's a lot that's not known about the brain and the nervous system. And I find that really intriguing. Um, You know, the brain is in itself such a cool organ, um, because obviously, it allows us to do so many different things, including running. (laughs) Um, And so it can, you know, in a way, be tied to running in in some aspects. Um, But yeah, I think it was that um, idea that it was like kind of the new frontier. We know so much about the heart and the heart has been studied so much and cardiology is such an old field, but neuroscience is kind of the new frontier. You know, it's like this new area where we still don't know so much about the brain and how it does everything that it does. Um, And so that intrigued me. Um, I'm also interested in research and there's just so many research opportunities within neuroscience. Um, And so that kind of pushed me that way as well. Um, and I just had some fantastic professors at Brown University that really um, got me interested in the field. Um, and then once I got in, it was like, this is what I love. This is so cool.
0: So 5k indoor champion and in the Ivy League. And again, Ivy League running is a very high level of running, right? There may be some sports where they are not in that first tier. You know, I'm thinking maybe more traditional sports like men's or women's basketball or football and things like that. Again, still high level athletes, but not at that pinnacle. Whereas you see a lot of runners come out of the Ivy League who are able to compete on a national and sometimes even international stage directly out of college. Someone who's had success at the 5k, what pulled you more towards the endurance side of running as you progressed post college instead of staying in sort of the shorter things, which could have potentially even been more accessible to you considering the heavy time demands that your work and study life required.
1: Yeah, you know, I actually do prefer the shorter distances. <laughs> See your completely... dad called it. Your
0: dad said, "Stick to the middle distances, Darrell." He knew. He was
1: right. He was absolutely right. Um I think what it is for me um yeah I've always had the kind of middle distance mentality and I've always kind of gravitated toward the shorter distances but I honestly feel like my body um I guess I just more natural I'm better at the longer distances so it's a little bit easier for me to do those workouts whereas like those track workouts it's hard to do those for me by myself um, and so I think that's what made me switch to the roads was because I naturally am better at like tempo runs and long runs, whereas even though I prefer being on the track, to be completely honest, I need the teammates, I need someone to be on the track with me to do those faster workouts. Um, and I just didn't have that ability to do that in med school, I didn't have a training partner um, that I could, you know, do track workouts with. Um So I think it was just easier, honestly, to do the road workouts. And that's kind of why I gravitated that way. But I do prefer the track.
0: (laughs) Now at Duke and then in Philly and then now down in Austin, those are some, from an East Coast perspective, are are some nice hubs within the running community, Mm -hmm. Um, some, some really good runners in all of those areas. Was it more like the time of day? Situation that would that kind of caused you not to have those potential training partners. Yeah, definitely. Um,
1: at Duke, you know, I tried to see if I could work out with the team there because I did have more flexibility in med school. Uh, but it it they basically said no, it w- didn't work out <laughs> is is what that came down to. So I didn't have the opportunity. Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I didn't really have the opportunity there, um, and then post med school timing. Yeah, absolutely. I had to do most of my runs at a time where no one was interested in <laughs> working out with me that early. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So
0: we mentioned earlier your wife. So Christine yes. Ramsey, you now Christine Hardy, people yep. remember her, uh, from her maiden name, Christine Ramsey, someone who's qualified for the trials three different times, the, yes. uh, the marathon trials. Yes. Three different times. Um, so I guess, Obviously, she has a major part in your life. She's your wife, for goodness sake. But how has she impacted you as a runner, especially early on, considering that she was able to qualify for the trials earlier in her running career than you had?
1: Yeah, yeah, no. Um, She's actually one of the reasons I did the marathon in the first place. So. Actually, in Philadelphia, I was doing road races, but you know ten mile road races, ten ks I guess I did do some half marathons um but actually, I got injured with a stress fracture, and I was like, "You know, maybe I'll try a marathon and i had been f i had met her before in the running club at in Philadelphia, and I knew that she she's a marathoner she is in expert marathoner. She knows all about the marathon she's done. I think we counted the other day, 11 marathons. Um, and so she, that's her thing. So she's a full blown marathoner. And so I reached out to her, I texted her uh, through Facebook, I think, because I didn't have her number at the time. And I was like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing my first marathon. Do you have advice?
0: So <laughs> and... you guys, you guys were the poster child for what came to be known as the Strava DM, right? Like yes. you guys, you would have been, you've been all over that.
1: Right, right, <laughs> uh, and so she gave me um, some some books to read, and um, one of them being Dina Castor's book, um, which was fantastic, um, and yeah, so that kind of triggered me to go on that journey, and that was in 2019, um, and yeah, so that's how we kind of started talking a little bit more, and then we started dating uh, after that. Um, but yeah, yeah. So she she's the one. She's the one who uh, got me got me really started and in, into trying a marathon.
0: So this podcast is great because we people get to learn um, ways that they can improve running and overcome challenges in their life. I would recommend people not to take Darrell's dating advice. It worked for him, <laughs> but I I, 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 just, I just all the women on Instagram. I don't want them to be flooded with. Hey, I saw you're a runner. Any book choices? <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
1: We were oh. friends before that. For the record, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a cold open. It wasn't a cold <laughs> Facebook message. No, no, no. <laughs> oh my god, that is
0: great. All right, so, um, so you get you get that message. You're you know curious about the marathon. This is 2019, mm-hmm. mind you. So this is very late in the Atlanta Trials cycle. So Correct. you start. Keying in, thinking about the marathon. I guess what prompted you to think about it, and did you kind of hear the clock ticking on that trials window?
1: Yeah, I was very naive, I will admit, and my wife will attest to that. Um, I so I, I had a stress fracture in the spring of 2019. So I was doing a ton of aqua jogging. Um, And so in the pool by myself, I was kind of thinking to myself, like, is this it? Like another stress fracture is running really feasible anymore. I'm in residency here. I'm injured again. You're 30 years old at this point? Yeah, 2019. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I'm just like, maybe, maybe I should call it. And then I was like thinking, you know, the more aqua jogging you do by yourself, you're like, well, I never did a marathon before that might be cool to try. And so. Then that kind of got in my head and I was like, I don't know anything about a marathon. So well, that's what prompted me to reach out to to my now wife. And then I reached out to my now coach as well because I, I didn't know anything and I didn't know how to coach myself for it. So, um, yeah, it was kind of me aqua jogging that sparked all of it. <laughs>
0: And then what was the, what was the buildup then? Because, um, you know, you, as people have heard, heard the intro, you did qualify for the 2020 trials. So walk me through, um, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have to belabor the points. We do sure. want to get to the, the, the current cycle as well, but I think it's a great way to kind of learn the, the foundation and also your story about this expedited process. Cause you really had like what it, nine months at that point
1: from like, right. I'm
0: not even running right now
1: right. Yeah. to
0: CIM is the first weekend in December.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. So I reached out to Brendan Martin, um, who's my, one of my coaches currently. He, he's a, a, he went to Columbia and we raced against each other when I was at Brown. And I knew that he was well versed in the marathon. He's a fantastic marathoner himself um, and coaches. So he was like, yeah, I'd be happy to coach you. Um, and he gave me a plan from you know transitioning from aqua jogging to slowly getting back on the ground. Um, And so, yeah, we had a slow, slow buildup over the summer. I think I started running on the ground in July. Uh, That sounds about right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So started slowly running in July, kind of built up mileage. um, And then we kind of started doing some, I remember doing some of my first workouts in August, September, because I raced a half marathon that September or early October to kind of see where I was at. In Philly, uh, I ran a PR in the half, uh, one hundred and six low, which was fine. Um, I w- did not feel like I was in shape. It was kind of just kind of see where I'm at. And then really after that race was like marathon specific workouts began after that. Uh, so I had a couple like uh, uh, I guess it must have been like three months from then, yeah, of like solid like marathon tr- full on training.
0: And when did you feel like you really got your sea legs under you?
1: Um, I would say late summer, early fall is when I finally was coming around to being back in running sheep.
0: And how how drastic was the difference between what Brendan had you doing to prepare for the marathon compared to some of the previous training you had done in the three to four years leading up to 2019?
1: Very different. Um when I was kind of coaching myself, I basically did the same two workouts, which were mile repeats and 400 repeats. That's, like, all I ever did. And then, like, I would do a long run, like, time on my feet, like, 16 miles. Um, that's basically all I ever did. Um, so, yeah. For you, there, and what's,
0: the, what's that, like, an hour and a half, an hour and 40 minutes?
1: Exactly, exactly. So, I would rarely do a long run over two hours. Like, that never happened. Um So yeah, drastically different. So it was definitely like longer intervals at that marathon pace. So like, you know, we did three by four miles at marathon pace kind of workouts, um, which is kind of a staple or we did a workout was like two by five miles at marathon pace. So like, way different than I had never done anything like that. um, With that kind of volume. And then my long runs also uh, were longer. Um, And so I did my longest run ever that fall which was at that time 22 miles uh 22 or 23 miles was my longest run ever i think i only did that once once or twice yeah
0: hey guys our podcast is brought to you by v.o2 a coaching app based on the science of legendary coach jack daniels unlike most other running apps v. is truly personalized It understands the type of runner you are, what you're training for, and how to maximize your effort. It also gives you control over your training, leveraging your feedback with fine-tuned training, and it leads to continuous progression. Not only that, you get a really good picture on how... Your time in a certain event or certain workout can be extrapolated to other paces and other times, right? So if you're like, hey, I have a recent 5K result. What does that mean in terms of like my threshold pace or what I could run a half marathon in and things like that? It really does work well. And you're trying to set your your paces as a runner, it can get a little tricky sometimes. So getting that pace range is really helpful. Again, not just a pace time, a pace range, and that is exactly what V.02 can provide you. Try out their fully automated V.Adaptive Trainer and start syncing your training paces to your Apple Watch, Koros, or Garmin. You can use code Rambling to save 20% off after your 14-day free trial. That's right, a free trial, and then 20% off on V.02 today. Just visit v.o2.com and you'll be all set. And were you doing mostly, and you can actually expand this out to mm-hmm. what you did. Um, I know this segment is, is actually, it mirrors the first one because you also had injuries and you also didn't get back to yeah. running in July and
1: things like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a pattern. <laughs> but,
0: but are you mostly a singles runner or are there, are there times where you can incorporate doubles?
1: They were, he had me mostly doing doubles. Uh, Just, he thought that it would be less on my body, given my injury status. He thought that it would be better to separate it. So I I did mostly doubles. And my mileage wasn't super high, unfortunately. Um, I wish I could do high mileage. Um, He had me doing about nine, high 90s was my sweet spot.
0: And would you do, like, how often would you do doubles? And would you do doubles on workout days?
1: Um, I... At that build, I never did like double thresholds. I, I didn't okay.
0: even know what that was. Um, oh, I guess, uh, I guess, and by that I meant like, would you do like, even if it was a workout day, would you do a double in the afternoon? Which I know usually, for some people, yeah. some people really like that. and Some people yeah. are not fans.
1: Yeah. I, I didn't during that build. No, it was usually on days that were non workout days where I would double and probably only like two or two times a week.
0: Gotcha. So in retrospect, Did you? I guess for a lot of people who are running lower mileage or maybe have a more kind of an unstructured training plan, oftentimes easy runs can be are are done at roughly marathon pace because again maybe they're not even trying for a marathon or because they're lower mileage, it's not that big of a deal if they run marathon pace because they're not like they're not they don't need to recover Mm
1: -hmm. for
0: the next workout, right? It's kind of why Mm -hmm. like lower mileage runners can get away with or even high school runners can get away with kind of doing more intensity because the mileage isn't crazy. So Mm -hmm. in In retrospect, once you started really focusing on marathon pace, did you did you you know did it come to fruition that you were already kind of doing a lot of that already, or were you pretty dedicated to like keeping easy days easy even pre-marathon training?
1: Definitely keeping easy days easy. Yeah, for sure. My easy days were definitely easy. Yeah. All right, so
0: so heading into the marathon day, your debut marathon, right? So you yeah. had all this. You have, you have a coach. Who's who's leading you through the process, right? Your budding relationship with Christine. She's she's reaching out to you. And I'm sure you have other people in your ear and you're communicating with other people in the running world. What was it like, you know, stepping to that starting line with a clear goal of what you wanted to do? But also having it be like a debutante experience.
1: Yeah. I I will say that looking back at that, it's crazy to think that I I what like what I was doing because I remember a few weeks before the marathon, fueling came up and I was like, what's that? <laughs> and my coach was like, what do you mean with that? You, you you have to fuel like along the marathon, like you need to take in gels. And I was like, oh, I do. I had no idea. I, I'm like clueless going into this. And so three weeks before the race, I started trying different gels and um, um, and none of them worked. Um, I was, do. I did like, uh, I tried so many different things and it would just cause me to go to the bathroom, like immediately, like nothing sat well with my stomach. And I was like, Oh my God, like, <laughs> what am I going to do? I finally came across Martin, which worked for my stomach. That was the only thing that worked for me. Um, thank gosh. Um, and so I settled on that, but I guess I, bring that story up to kind of show you how unprepared (laughs) I was going into this first marathon. Uh, And so, yeah, I I honestly had no idea what to expect. I really just trusted what my coach was giving me. I I literally followed the workouts to a T and just trusted that that was enough to get me through this race. I think going into the race, I was most scared about finishing the distance because... As a primarily track athlete, when I would work out, I I was always working out over distance, right? So like my workouts would always be longer than the race itself. And so you have that confidence like, well, obviously I'm going to finish the race because I've done workouts longer. But this, I was like, I honestly don't know. I've never run more than 22 miles in my life. I have no idea what happens after that. So going in, I was most concerned about finishing, I would say
0: so when did you change course on you know going from hey i just want to finish to like yeah. hey now i am you know everyone probably still remembers the the beehive of runners that yeah. was making their way down cim's course right yeah. it's, it's been well chronicled the audio the video the pictures uh the essays courtesy of our, our mutual friend peter bromka and, and things of that nature when did it go from hey finishing and feeling good about my race is the goal to like, hey, now, like, you know, the goal has changed.
1: Yeah. I, I'll say that although my, I was afraid I wouldn't finish, I think the goal was still to run that pace. Okay. It was just a matter of if I would finish running that pace.
0: Gotcha. Okay, <laughs> so right. I
1: think my goal was still, because that's what our training was built on, was that, I guess at that time, 517s um, was kind of like my marathon pace. And that was what we did the workouts at. My coach wanted me to kind of go out with that pack. But in my head, my fear was, would I be able to finish? <laughs> but the goal was still to, to run that pace for sure.
0: Okay. So you end up qualifying for the trials. A huge accomplishment for any runner. Do it in your first marathon is amazing. Again, it's not Fiona O'Keefe first marathon, but <laughs> right. it's a really good first marathon. <laughs> right. um, so then a couple months later, you run the trials, 226, you know, 117th overall, an amazing day. It just, it, what what a journey from like the previous February where you're like, you know, like on the wall of fame for best aqua joggers at the local YMCA <laughs> to all of a sudden yeah. you're competing at the trials, a yeah. really cool turnaround. However, six weeks later, the world gets turned upside down yeah. in a way that connects directly to what you're doing as a doctor, Yeah. right? Yeah. So obviously that must have been an intense experience. So I would love, and we don't have to dive into like your medical experience during that time. Um, this is probably not the podcast for that. Lord knows. And I'm certainly not the host for that podcast. <laughs> also, you do have that podcast with Megan Roach. You can you right. talk to her about that, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But what was it like for you in terms of like figuring out where running is going to fit in? Because not only are you it really going into the meat of your professional career, but you're doing it at a very critical moment in history for your field.
1: hmm. hmm. Yeah, that that was that was a surreal time, to be honest, I think what I remember most was coming back from the Atlanta trials. um, And I actually was on service, like right when I got back. So basically, I took a red eye um, back to the hospital, and I was working like in the hospital. And we, you know, there were rumors about this virus, blah, blah, blah. And then days later, it was like the hospital was like shutting down, you know, like not like everyone wearing masks, like if you weren't, if you didn't have to be in the hospital, you stayed at home, everything kind of changed. Um, and yeah, it was a crazy time because I was actually the chief resident. And so I was in charge of scheduling all of the neurology residents and when they were in the hospital, out of the hospital, all their rotations. And so I had to like change everyone's schedules um, to, to make it feasible for only one person to be in-house and the rest, you know, at home, um, isolated. Yeah it's crazy how everything and the you know the whole city shut down masking and everything changed it was it was it was a scary time and then you know when you're in the hospital seeing patients super sick fortunately um as a pedi- pediatrician it didn't affect kids as severely as it did in in the in adults and so our hospital wasn't overwhelmed so a lot of what you saw on the news with hospitals being flooded by patients that were sick and you know in the hallways because there weren't enough beds. At the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, it wasn't quite like that because it's a children's hospital and it didn't really affect kids in the same way. So I didn't have that scenario. However... Because I was a neurology resident, I also did adult neurology, and so I was on call because they needed people to help out at the adult hospital next door. So I was on call to go over there to help out in the emergency department, which was terrifying because I'm primarily a pediatrician, and so to take care of adults like that are super sick was, you know, nerve wracking, but also an honor, you know, because that's that's what I do. I uh, that's my job to take care of people, especially in time of need. So um, I did you know, have to flex over at the adult hospital, um, uh, you know, to help out, but yeah, crazy time for sure.
0: Yeah. And when did you move down to Austin to work at the, the, the Dell hospital that you're at now?
1: Yeah. So we moved in 2021, uh, the, the July, 2021, we moved down to Austin. Um, yeah. And, uh, I started my job in August, 2021 down here in Austin.
0: And at that point, were you still thinking like, all right, I want to continue this marathon thing? Or are you kind of in flux? And at this point, walk walking through how how running played a part in your life over the, that two year span.
1: Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> uh, we moved we moved in July of 2021 and started my job in August. And I was kind of like ready to go with running. I was like, I want to give trials another shot um and um very soon as soon after moving to to Austin I had two stress fractures in my foot <laughs> so that that fall I had I was doing a track workout and this was crazy I was doing a track workout and I heard a pop in my foot and I was like what and I had to stop it was like this just a pop and I had to walk back to my our to our apartment and I realized I had two broken bones in my foot. it It, it was all of a sudden, like you were just you were just running. You're just running just doing a workout on the track. Yeah, it was crazy. and that that took me since it was two broken bones in my foot, that took twelve weeks um of no running, so yeah unfortunately, started off my time in Austin when I'm trying to meet people and make you know connections in the running community injured in a boot.
0: <laughs> right, in Austin over the last four years, again, not that it's always been an active city, but it seems like it's really, um, for a lot of reasons, Kind of picked up in the running community, and it absolutely. seems like there's a really great running community down there. Not even one. There's it seems like they're, they're all over the place, right? Yeah. It almost feels like following the New York City running community because kind of feel, kind of feels the same way following the Austin community. Like there's these pockets everywhere. At least that's yes. how it feels like as an outsider.
1: Yes, absolutely. So many active people running, biking, you know, swimming, everything. But yeah, particularly in the running community, there's so many different running clubs. And moving here, my wife and I were almost overwhelmed with the trying to figure out which club would be best for us and where we would kind of fit in, in the running community. Cause it's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, it's so it's big, much bigger than Philly.
0: Right. No, that's a good point. Um, it is kind of funny how like you, you were living in Philly and I think, I guess topographically, like the runs of Philly might match what you saw in Atlanta. Then you move down to Austin, which topographically yeah. and weatherwise like matches what you end up seeing in Orlando.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is funny.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so you, you you get the the double stress fracture in your foot, mm-hmm. and then you get a hamstring injury.
1: Yeah, after a year that. later. Yep. <laughs> a year later,
0: and then that 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 bogs you down. So it seems like, you know, just like heading into the 2020 trials heading into 2024 you're just beset by injury after injury after injury so walk me through you know 2023 beginning 2023 leading in you know how are you viewing your calendar from a training perspective and the races you want to do to try to get back to the trials
1: yeah so taking us one step back after i broke my foot uh, i took 12 weeks off started running that winter. And the plan was to do grandma's half marathon in 2022, which I did. And that was amazing. I PR'd, I ran 104.52. And that kind of sparked like this new like energy, like, okay, you know, I still got it, (laughs) you know, I can do this. That's a huge PR for my previous half marathon PR of 106. So um, then after that, the plan was Berlin that fall. Of 2022, after doing grandma's. Berlin training that summer, you know, Austin Heat, but you know, got through the Austin Heat, did the training, felt fit, but hamstring was eh. And then went into Berlin, had to drop out because it completely tore my hamstring. But Berlin was the plan. That was the plan for me to qualify because one, um, obviously a fantastic race, two, we were expecting. And so we were expecting that December, so it was like, knock out the trial's time in September before baby comes, then you can rest, (laughs) you know. So that plan went out the window when I tore my hamstring in Berlin, and I was like, ah, now what am I going to do? That's an
0: interesting use of the term rest as a (laughs) pediatric neurologist who also will have a newborn on the way and who's married (laughs) to a doctor. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, yeah. I guess we don't have to do, dive too deep into this, but right yeah. here, I tore my hamstring completely while running, uh, you know, it's one thing for me to hear, like I heard a pop in my ankle mm-hmm. uh, or in my foot, hearing that phrase, like sends shivers down my spine and basically throughout my entire body. Yeah. I guess if you could like, what does that even, what does that mean? And what does that feel like? I mean, it sounds oh, awful.
1: It was awful. Um, you know, going in, it was bothering me, but I was like, adrenaline will take care of it. I'll be fine. And then mile six, I could feel it stretching and pulling, um, but I kept going. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm going to keep running. And then by mile 12, I, could, I couldn't walk. I had to stop. I like, hobbled off. And of course, no one spoke English um, there. But everyone was super friendly and wanted to help, but it was just, I didn't speak German. Um, and so finally got to a medical person who took me back to the start. And yeah, it was devastating. And I ended up having to take off like four months of no running. It just—it was upper, it was upper hand proximal, so like my glute, which is apparently the worst spot to injure your hamstring. It's more proximal. Um, Yeah, it just took forever. And then, um, but how was
0: the how was the flight back? How was the (laughs) terrible? Like my butt hurt flying from Orlando to Providence Like last weekend.
1: How did your, your flight go? Awful. Oh my gosh. It was the worst. Absolutely awful. Like I couldn't get comfortable. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> I don't know how else to... Yeah, it was brutal. Yeah. Do you just like, like,
0: like, what, was, like your, what was your coping mechanism on this like, what, eight hour flight or something?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, tried to listen to music, tried to like position my leg in different ways to allow it to be a little bit more comfortable. But, you know, it was just painful. Oh, my yeah. gosh. That yeah. is
0: crazy. Yeah. All right. So, so so that happens. And that was at the end of. So we're, we're leading into the winter of 2022. Yeah. Four months off. So yep. that takes us into 2023. Yep. So all of a sudden, this is basically a year ago from right now.
1: Yeah. Again, yeah. here
0: you are, February yeah. of a trials yeah. year. Yeah. Being like, I don't even know what's going on. So right, right. so what did the, so what did the calendar look like then yes. um in terms of like your rehabilitation getting back to running yes. um and I know in the in the fall you ended up running McCurdy and CIM so we right. we have to go full like you know right. what happens every month but right. you know like how early were you able to even get back to running
1: Yeah so I so injured September I started running right after our daughter was born in December so right around Christmas time I started running on the ground, just barely. So, like, I actually was January, like, right at like January 1st, the new year, 2023, started running on the ground. And we were ambitious. Our goal was grandma's. Oh. Our goal was grandma's marathon, full, um was to hit it then. Um, we quickly realized as I got closer, the hamstring was still not right. And then we were like, well, let's switch to the half. Let's at least get a race in, f- do the half marathon. Like two weeks leading up to the half, I was like, uh uh-uh, this hamstring's not right. So I took more time off and scratched from grandmas completely. Um, and then I took a couple weeks down to really figure out what's going on with this hamstring, doing tons of rehab. I saw so many different physical therapists. I finally switched to a different physical therapist. They're all great, but this particular one was actually uh, neurologically based um and they do a lot of like electrical stimulation in the muscle um which seemed to really work for me um i was doing all the rehab exercises all the strengthening stuff but this extra stim stuff really seemed to work i think it could have just been time <laughs> um but also i think that really helped um so i started seeing this new pt fantastic um that kind of summer and then we kind of built from there Um, with the new goal being uh, Chicago versus McCurdy's. We weren't sure which one we were going to do. They were a week apart. Um, And I ultimately picked McCurdy's um, because I I wasn't going to get fluid uh, at Chicago in the ADP And a lot of people,
0: that's exactly why a lot of people made that decision. Yeah. People in your boat who are going to be treated like elite athletes from from a water perspective. Look at you. Four
1: years ago, you didn't even know what what fueling (laughs) was. Now you're making race decisions based on it. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, I quickly realized how important (laughs) fueling is for a marathon.
0: So so I've watched the last three races you were in. So I was one of the people working the tables. I was at table 14 and 15 at McCurdy. Um, I've known James for a long time. And I was at CIM. And then I was at the trials. So McCurdy, narrowly missed. Missed by a little over a minute after that. Can you replay for us the conversation that you had with your wife again, three times trials qualifier yeah. Christine Ramsey Hardy, um, about how you felt after that race because I think this was a, just a great conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, um, and such a pivotal point in this build for me for sure. Um, you know, going into McCurdy's workouts weren't going great to be honest. Um, I I just wasn't feeling quite ready or like myself. Um, and so after McCurdy's, I was kind of. Devastated, you know. I uh, I was like, man, I I put everything I could, to, you know. Like my I didn't feel great in the workouts, but like I, I put so much time and effort, and I had kind of a sense of guilt even for how much I had put into it. Um, you know, with having a wife, a daughter, and all these other responsibilities, work and everything, I was like, man, like all of that, and I like still didn't get it. And I told my wife, and I was just you know raw right after the race. I was just like, I, I don't think I can do it. I I don't think I can do it this time, you know? And she looked at me and she's like, no, (laughs) you can do this. You will do this, basically, is what she told me. She looked me right in the eye and said that. And I think that was huge for me, just knowing that someone, you know, was so invested in, in this goal of this crazy goal of mine and believed in me so much that she knew that I could do it and that I would do it. You know, just having someone reminding you that you can do this, you will do that, was exactly what I needed at that time. Because honestly, if she if she didn't say those words, I I wouldn't have tried. <laughs> I would have just <laughs> probably given up. It was, let's yeah. let's
0: expand on this more because I think this is critical. I think a lot of times we've I've had female runners on the show who are mothers, who talk about that mom guilt that can crop up, mm-hmm. and it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that I've addressed as much with, with fathers, like you and I, um, but I've, ex- again, yeah, not, not that everything is an apples-to-apples comparison, but I've also felt that exact same thing, and usually it's in the face of race disappointment. So can you expand on that a little bit, like how, why like a, ra- a disappointing race can kind of trigger or exacerbate Those feelings of Mm -hmm. you know letting someone down, or what was this all for, and also kind of the fallacy of it, as if like as if our partners give two craps, like whether or not like we actually hit our goals in that race, (laughs) right?
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you know it's just for me. um, I I kind of pride myself at being good at multitasking. That's one of the things that I think I I'm good at. Um, But you know, it's a balance. And I feel like for me, sometimes I kind of shift the balance one way or the other, depending on what's next. And so like, if I have a big presentation at work that I need to do, maybe my balance kind of gets shifted to work. Or if there's a lot going on at home with our daughter or with my wife, then that balance, you know, gets shifted that way. And then, you know, if a big race is coming up, maybe I kind of, so I I, do, I try to do everything equally, but it's in it's almost impossible to do it equally. And so I think because McCurdy's was coming up, I feel like maybe I felt guilty that maybe I was shifting a little bit more of my time towards running. And I felt like, was I was I there enough for my wife? Was I there enough for my daughter? Was I there present enough at work? You know, was I neglecting some of those other aspects to try to achieve this goal? You know, those thoughts creep into your head, like, man, did I do something, you know, was I neglecting something that I shouldn't have been because of this stupid race that, you know, who cares? <laughs> like, um, so, you know, those thoughts creep into your head. And I'm so, so lucky to have my wife, Christine, who is constantly reassuring me, like, no, like, you're you're here for us. Like, we, you know, she makes me feel really good about um, the balance that I am, you know, trying to t- to achieve. And, you know, having that supportive wife um and mother to to our daughter is is incredible and i can't you know thank her enough or you know even at times where maybe i had to do a workout she was always there to kind of step up and and you know pick up the slack and she's totally um supportive of that um which you know uh just blessed and thankful to have that um but yeah those thoughts definitely creep up for sure
0: uh, that's that's a great way of putting it. That's for sure. And when I said in the during the question, I said as if they don't care. I, I I made mention of like, hey, not that they care about our our results. That wasn't like saying like they don't actually care. It's more of like it doesn't imp- whether we get our goals or not it doesn't impact the relationship. Right. right. It does like it does impact the relationship with your wife or your child. Right. Things like that. Right. It's just like it's just a detail in the story. It doesn't affect the yes. context of the relationship.
1: You're absolutely so, right. And the, one of the other things my wife said to me and always says to me, you know, is no matter what happens in this race, you know, we're always going to be here for you. We're always going to love you no matter the result, you know, and both her and my daughter will love me if I. Drop out if I, you know, run a PR, if you know, whatever happens, they're always gonna be there, which is amazing to have.
0: <laughs> so a month and a half later, first weekend in December, every year, California National Marathon. I was lucky enough to meet you for the first time the day yes. before the race. You were yeah. finishing up a run, doing taking a selfie on the Yellow Bridge, which I know like you would never ever do in a normal right. situation, but I just happened to be standing there because we finished the run at the same time. Spoiler alert: We were not running the same pace, but <laughs> I was like, "Hey, want to take that picture for you?" And, it was, yeah. and that's how we yeah. met. It was like on this on this yellow bridge right next to the hotel. Um, a couple of days later, you run a CIM and you are in that classic CIM position of sprinting for the line to get the trials qualifying time—the exact reason people sign up for CIM. You are you are knee deep in that moment. So let's just take like say. We don't have to recap the race. We already know you got the qualifying time because you obviously ran the trials. However, take me down to like you're cr- you're passing the capital on your left. Right. You have basically two or three minutes max until you get to the finish line. Walk me through that final you know, half mile or so half K or so as you're sprinting for the line. You're obviously very aware of what's going on. The crowd is buzzing. Just walk me through that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That moment is is crazy. It's, it's probably the craziest moment, running moment I've ever had in my life um, because part of me, I didn't know exactly how close I was uh, to it. Um, I know when I hit the last 2K, I tried to do math, but at the end of a marathon, who can do math? Let's be honest. If a neurologist <laughs> can't do it, we're all doomed. Right, exactly. So I tried to do math and roughly I was like, I've done a 2K in this pace in workouts before, but I told myself that it's not going to feel like that workout. It's going to feel like I'm going all out. So I told myself I need to sprint all out, everything I have to hit that pace that I know I can do because I've done it in workouts. And so that's kind of my mindset was just like sprint as hard as you can because I knew it wasn't like I needed to run like a sub four mile. You know what I mean? I knew it was a pace that I could do, but it would just feel like I was sprinting. (laughs) um so yeah i told myself i have to sprint who was around you because i know the, the last yeah.
0: finisher that race who crossed the finish line was, was a bat city runner yeah. which is an austin runner right yes. so did you know the people around you or were you so internally focused that it literally could have been christine next to you and you weren't going to notice her
1: a hundred percent yeah i was so internally focused i didn't see any runner around me when i turned the corner and i saw the clock That's when it got crazy. That's the craziest moment running experience because I saw how close I was. I saw the clock say 2.17.40 when I turned that corner and the crowd is going insane. And I didn't know, I couldn't figure out how far away the finish line was but I knew I had to get there. <laughs> and that's all I knew. I was like, I don't know how far away it is, but I'm going to try as hard as I can to get to the line in 20 seconds. So, and, uh, yeah.
0: yeah. So were you aware if you got it or not when you crossed, or were you looking for like external notifications or validations of whether or not it happened?
1: I knew because I, as I, as I was going and sprinting, I saw Noah Drati at the line, whipping the flag and like encouraging me on. <laughs> and like, I'm a huge Noah Drati fan. And so when I saw him cheering for me, I was like, what the, <laughs> I've got to do it now. And so I, I could see the clock at like the corner of my eye and I I knew I was under 218. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew I had it. Um, but yeah, that was crazy. Two seconds, baby. Yeah. Right? <laughs>
0: yeah it was incredible i was there i was filming it live doing a live a live stream at the finish line like doing the video and it was incredibly exciting that's for sure Darrell. i'm so happy to get you on the podcast to talk about this entire journey you obviously just ran the trials and you ran incredibly well it was a great day for so many runners again even three minutes faster than your last time running the trials right you keep getting faster
1: that's right (laughs) that's right yeah yeah
0: (laughs) That's great. Well, we, we have a hard stop time. I have to get my children. You're literally doing this from a hospital. So you have a you have more important things to be doing as well than talking on a running podcast. If you would be so kind, I'd love to get you back on because yeah. not only are you an incredible runner, but you are so good at this, Darrell. Oh, you? You. I'm not thank surprised. You. You're such an engaging guy. Darrell, again, congratulations. Thank you on so a fantastic much. Fantastic running career that is still going. And yes. thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.